0: heavy metal historian is looking into doing a few episodes in which we look at future metal bands so if you're an unsigned or independent metal outfit and you're interested in having your music played on one of those episodes get in touch with us metalpodcast podcast 666 at gmail.com on twitter at metal podcast 666 or over at our facebook page reach out to us we'd love to hear your music Previously on Heavy Metal Historian, we reviewed the influence of history on metal, and we also studied the origins and rise of subgenres such as shock rock and prog metal. On this episode, we finally reach our destination after looking at thrash metal, punk, and hardcore. From proto-punk, to the first wave of punk, to the development of hardcore, and the rise of thrash metal, we inspect the first prosperous fusion of metal with punk, where thrash was blended with hardcore. We look into the key bands that shape the genre and where it is headed now. From Uncle Slam, to Suicidal Tendencies, to Agnostic Front, we take a stage dive into crossover thrash. Welcome to our 24th episode, I'm Greg Davies, your heavy metal historian. In 1977, one of the most famous rivalries commenced. On one side of the coin, you had the pioneers of the then new wave of British heavy metal, and on the other, you had the punk movement. The metal guys were disinterested and often repulsed at the spotty rude punks, and the punk musicians of the time began rejecting the relationship their genre previously had with early metal. All the punk bands were getting the gigs, and anything that was remotely more mainstream rock wasn't
1: even looked at anymore, you know. So it was really tough for bands at the time. I remember going down to a gig, you know, so in West London, and we went in there, and it was just people just diving about all over the place, spitting over the band, and all this. We just hate, hated everything about it.
2: Absolutely everything. <laughs> Maybe punk could be credited with at least bringing No, speed. I'm sorry. Can't credit it with anything. Come on, no. Steve. No, we ate it. I don't believe it. We that. absolutely ate <laughs> it. What was different about metal compared to punk and the
1: late 70s? Metal players, have a, they're metal riffs. We were much more kind of almost, not bluesy, but sort of rock and roll kind of traditional based in the way we viewed the notes we played. There was kind of a, a, a great kindred that we had with like the Stooges and the MC5, but the similarities really were only in volume.
2: Why ultimately were you attracted to going more the punk direction than
1: the metal? Because it was mine. It was my generation. It was what I wanted to do. And, you know, we didn't play as good as all those guys either. I think we were grateful that we could get something out that sounded like a song.
2: Were the metal and punk fans coexisting peacefully or was there actual real conflict there?
1: It's a bit like two snarling dogs in a cage, you know, they'll look at each other, they'll size each other up. And then after a while, they kind of back down and get used to each other being there. And then it's, like, oh, well, maybe his butt doesn't sniff so bad after all. Mid-70s, when it kicked off, um, it was very much a them or us culture. You didn't mix, you didn't attempt to mix. And if you did mix, there could be trouble. I'd the bottles thrown at me as I've walked past clubs purely for the crime of wearing a denim jacket.
2: Being a rock guy yourself, how did you feel about punk?
1: I hated it. Yeah, I, I don't see the pleasure of spitting on people and and things like that. It
0: ruined proper music. At the time, it seemed punk and metal couldn't have been further apart from each other. Stemming from garage rock and proto-punk roots, punk's ancestries had strength in the New York City scene of the 70s, but in 1976 the style exploded into the mainstream with the Sex Pistols' appearance on the Grundy programme.
3: Punk rockers. The new craze, they tell me. Uh, they're heroes, not the nice, clean Rolling Stones. You see, they're as drunk as I am. They're clean by comparison. They're a group called the Sex Pistols. And I'm surrounded now by all of them. I am told that that group have received £40,000 from a record company doesn't that seem uh, to be slightly opposed to their anti materialistic view of life? No, or... more the Really? Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, tell me more about it. You've fucking spent <laughs> it, haven't we? <laughs> I don't know, have you? Yeah, yeah it's all gone. Really? Down yep. a to... Really? Mm. Good lord. Now, oh, I want gosh, to know one shocking. thing. <laughs> what? Are you serious, or are you just making me, no, trying to make gone. me laugh? on. Really? Yeah. No, but I mean about what you're doing. Oh, yeah. You are serious. Mm. Beethoven. Mozart, Martin oh, yes, Browns have all died. Bears, they? Really? Oh, what what, uh, what are you saying, wonderful sir? Wonderful people. Are they? Oh, yes, they really turn us on. What do they do? Well, <laughs> suppose they turn other people on. That's just their tactics. Which one? Nothing, a rude word. Next question. No, no. What was the rude word? Shit. Was it really? Good heavens, you Gosh. frightened me to death. Oh, oh alright. What you about all you girls behind? Like you're
4: dead, press. isn't
3: it, Are you, uh <laughs> With your granddad. Are you worried or are you just enjoying yourself? Enjoy
4: myself.
3: Are you? Yeah. Ah, so That's what you were doing. I always yeah.
4: wanted to meet you.
3: Did you really? Yeah. We'll meet afterwards, shall we? <laughs> you yeah. dirty yeah. son. Yeah. Yeah. You dirty old man. <laughs> well, keep going, keep going, Chief. Keep going. Go on, you've got another five <laughs> seconds. Di- Say something outrageous. You dirty now. bastard. Go on, again. <laughs> you dirty fucker. What a clever boy. What a yeah. fucking rotter. Well, that's it for tonight. <laughs> The other rocker, Abel, I'm saying nothing else about him, will be back tomorrow. I'll be seeing you soon, I hope I've not seen you again. Don't though. Good night.
0: The filth and the fury as it was branded at the time was the spark that set off the punk powder keg. It launched the style and attitude into the mainstream. Alongside the Sex Pistols, bands like The Clash and The Damned began benefiting from great success. Back in the USA, artists like Iggy Pop and The Ramones experienced revitalization because of the rise of the punk scene from the UK. It was due to the explosive rise to power of the Pistols and their debut album, Never Mind the Bollocks. At time the metalheads of the UK were a little lost. The punk scene just wasn't their thing and a small group of artists and fans began uniting into a movement that would later be signified as the new wave of British heavy metal. Providing a viable alternative scene for those who were just not into punk, the movement gave rise to some of the most central bands in metal history including Motorhead, Diamondhead, Raven, Venom and Iron Maiden. In all fairness though, even looking back at the two scenes in this day and age, there was a considerable difference between the two. But as punk would rise to power, it would also be co-opted by the record label suits, commercialised and packaged. New wave music would appear and all of a sudden punk became a safe and sustainable commodity. It became a lucrative opportunity and the fans of the scene rejected this. The fans of the scene that deemed themselves to be the hardcore fans of punk Felt that the commercialization was a signal that the movement had grown beyond what it originally meant. A new generation of musicians knew that for punk to remain viable and relevant to its followers, it needed to come back to an underground DIY sensibility. With the second wave of punk, the style was redubbed as hardcore punk, arising in the United States of America with bands like Dead Kennedys, Gigi Allen, Fear, and Black Flag. <laughs>
4: party all right! Tonight! We've got nothing better to do than watch TV and have a couple of brews. Everybody's gonna hang out here tonight! All right! We'll pass out on the couch! All right!
0: Meanwhile, over in the United Kingdom, a group of fans and musicians began taking punk back to the underground and cultivating their own version of hardcore. Coming out of England in 77, Discharge would be the first band to push the hardcore movement forward in the UK and would be extremely influential to the future crossover movement. Likewise, the following year, The Exploited would come out of the UK hardcore scene. Originating in the street punk style of the time, the band would not only prove to be hugely inspirational to the future thrash bands and crossover artists, but they would also evolve into crossover stylizations of their own.
1: Are you yourself a mercenary? No, I don't. I am not a mercenary. Uh, I'm a contract soldier.
0: The hardcore style was evolving by this point. While most bands were trying to stay true to the core idea of punk, others were developing different stylizations that would be embraced by thrash and crossover groups. A faster, more aggressive approach. The initial emerging style was first explored by both Discharge and the Exploited. But the American bands were also catching on to the rougher aggression. Deglo Abortions in 1979 were followed by Agnostic Front in 1980. Both would evolve into being exclusively crossover thrash, as would Gangrene, who also surfaced in 1980. The pursuit for faster and aggressive material was beginning to permeate across both punk and metal. Hardcore bands began finding some minor influence from the new wave of British heavy metal artists. Speed metal came to be, as did symphonic metal and power metal, all beginning to enter their formative periods. The end result of the most successful merging of the speed with aggression actually came from the Bay Area in the early 80s. Beginning with Metallica in 1981, the new thrash metal movement emerged. Megadeth followed, formed by Dave Mustaine after he left Metallica, and then Slayer came out around the same time. Over in New York, Anthrax arose from a scene that had heavy hardcore leanings. As the scene fleshed out, other bands emerged, producing the new thrash sound, including Exodus, Overkill, Creator, and Testament. As far as Crossover was concerned, Thrash Metal was the last piece of the puzzle. The big eight of Thrash Metal, Metallica, Megadeth, Slayer, Anthrax, Creator, Testament Overkill and Exodus were all deeply influenced by the new wave of British Heavy Metal, but they also found incredible inspiration and relevance from the lyrics of Hardcore. For the first time since 1977, Headbangers found something of merit with the punks and vice versa. Taking the steps made by bands like The Exploited and Gangrene at the turn of the decade, the first true crossover bands began emerging that same year, in 1981. They aimed to remain close to the hardcore sound and attitude, but merge it with the fast aggressiveness of thrash. The first to effectively merged the two styles were the Suicidal Tendencies. In a career spanning 35 years, nine albums, and under the leadership of Psycho Michael Muir, the suicidal tendencies have become regarded as the fathers of crossover thrash. The band came to mainstream notice for the first time in 1983 with the single and music video of Institutionalized. They rapidly became a massive influence not only to future bands, but to bands of the current era and scene. The Suicidals followed their debut with the 1987 record Join the Army and then with How Will I Laugh Tomorrow When I Can't Even Smile Today in 1988. The releases consolidated the group's success during the 80s. Suicidal tendencies continue to this day, and though their commercial success is not at the level it was in the 80s, their content is still as relevant as ever. The outfit's most recent release was the album 13, which contained songs like Shake It Out. The label or categorization of crossover thrash defines a few aspects of the genre. First and foremost, it's the heterogeneity or merging of the two styles, thrash metal and hardcore punk. But more importantly, what sets crossover apart from styles like, say, thrashcore, is that the music was of huge appeal to both thrash fans AND hardcore punk fans. The music crossed over the fan bases, hence its name, and on top of that, because of groups like Suicidal Tendencies crossover itself began developing its own scene of fans. Also arising in 1981 and likewise contributing greatly to the crossover scene were the Cro-Mags. Living out of squats and burnt out buildings, Cro-Mags were arguably the first gutter punks living on the streets of New York City. The band's first two albums are widely considered to be heavily influential and pioneering standards of the merging of metal with punk. The formation of the cro was a mission for the members of the band in searching for a harder attitude and image, but in a basis of meaning. Several of the members found their answers in the Hare Krishna religion, which was often injected into the music. However, they often found that the Krishna quest for peace came at odds against the sometimes violent stylings of hardcore shows. It was a conflict that the group had difficulty in reconciling, and it led to the shifting of line-ups and eventually several hiatus periods for the band. Fused originated out of Seattle in 1981 and also turned out to be highly influential towards cross-punk and grindcore bands. They would also inspire the later groups that would emerge in the interrelated thrashcore movement. SSD, aka Society System Decontrol, control originated in the realm of Straight Edge but migrated across into the crossover scene. DRI, otherwise known as the Dirty Rotten Imbeciles, came out in 1982 from Houston, Texas, and quickly became another of the key bands in the development of Crossover. While they never cracked mainstream or commercial success, the band is still continuing to this day, enjoying a cult-following success. They were also mostly responsible for pushing the name Crossover into the metalhead consciousness when they released their 1987 album titled Crossover. was founded out of the breakup of a metal group from Brooklyn called Fallout in 1982. The band was formed by bassist and vocalist Peter Steele who would later advance to found the phenomenal and successful group Typo Negative. Meanwhile, in North Carolina, another group was formed that would hold substantial sway over the development of crossover thrash. Taking elements of thrash and hardcore, Corrosion of Conformity consolidated the scene in 1982 becoming one of the few groups with longevity in the scene. They have released seven full-length albums, plus live releases and compilations across their 30-plus year career. Suckers also surfaced in 1982, yet their first album would not be released until 1986. Though they never achieved major commercial success, the band developed a dedicated fan following based upon word of mouth. Their 1988 album, Beast on My Back, is regarded as an underrated and underground cult classic. California Crossover Act Excel also had a dedicated following, developing a legacy for their live shows both at home and abroad. But it was 1984 when Crossover really took off. The year showcased the biggest surge of newly formed crossover acts, and the responsibility of this expansion lay at the feet of thrash band Anthrax. After their debut release, the band shook up their lineup considerably, and bassist Danny Lilker moved off to develop a new thrash outfit. However, the sway of the New York hardcore scene weighed heavily on Lilker's new band, Nuclear Assault, and became an outfit that hovered between the classifications of crossover and thrash. Their debut album, Game Over, is a highly regarded release among fans that clearly makes the connections between traditional thrash metal and that of crossover. 1984 continued, several other bands began bridging these gaps, and they inclined towards more of the thrash side of the equation than hardcore. Nevertheless, it was still crossover, and it's important to point out that during this time, the word thrash was used synonymously to describe all of the bands, from the thrash metal scene, to the hardcore scene, to the thrashcore scene, and of course to the crossover scene. It was this appreciation across the board that pushed bands like Cryptic Slaughter to continue propagating the noise forward and outward, whose success was largely based on the underground tape trading network among fans. This tape trading network has since been seen as the internet before there was an internet, where fans traded cassette tape recordings of their favourite hardcore and thrash bands, and crossover was a natural fit. Hyrax, one of the most underrated of the crossover and thrash bands during the 80s, was also quite popular in this tape trading scene.
4: You will
5: go down, down to the divots.
2: You You must believe in me, my son I am the Lord God The Holy One
0: In the latter part of 1984, the crossover thrash band seemed to be focusing on a balance between the two sounds of thrash and hardcore, zoning in on developing a unique identifiable feel and style. Ludicross were notable for this, as were Hogan's Heroes, a group that were also very highly regarded among hardcore and cross-punk audiences as well. But in the closing out of 1984 arose a group that would be instrumental in consolidating the crossover thrash scene. Highly regarded among the crossover, the hardcore, the punk and the metal scenes, The group, originally known as The Brood, were heavily influenced by all of the bands of the punk and thrash scenes that preceded them. Zoning in on lyrical concepts that were of penetrating and dark socio-political content, the group developed a cult following and are still considered to be one of the key bands of the crossover thrash scene. Their name was Uncle Sland. Also emerging out of connections with Anthrax and rising from the 1984 crossover expansion, the Stormtroopers of Death, or S.O.D., were formed by Billy Milano in 1985. Rounding out S.O.D. with Anthrax members Scott Ian, Charlie Benante, and Dan Lilker, Milano approached the band with a facetious and sardonic attitude. S.O.D. began dealing with socio-political commentary in such a mocking and flippant manner, it is still, to this day, impossible to work out how serious or how not serious he was. Because of this tactic, and with their debut album Speak English or Die, Milano and the band were often accused of being racist and misogynist. This is hard to argue against, as some of the songs were deliberately written as such to piss people off. And pissing people off is what Stormtroopers of Death did well. MOD, or Method of Destruction, was Milano's offshoot of S.O.D. With Stormtroopers being a crossover project with members of Anthrax, Milano wanted to continue down the track he begun, while the Anthrax dudes moved back to simply doing their own thing. For all intents and purposes, though, MOD was quite simply S.O.D., just under a different name. Over the years, Milano has released a number of albums from both Stormtroopers and Method, and while they are technically classified as two different bands, they truly should be considered one band with a long history.
4: Fucking life is starting to give me Fuckin' the blue scum it Neonize is Neonizes politics Genie and your evil legs Fucking die Bullshit fucking politicians All the shit they do Do you think they give a shit about power only or do? All we are is fucking dead I'll hurt and it Slaughter for our taxes They're for death Left for death
0: As 1985 began to close out, the level of newer crossover acts began to diminish a little. Attitude adjustment developed a solid following when they were formed during the year, as did Vermacht and Lawnmower Death and Madball. On the other hand, Prong, rising out of 1986, became a band that bridged gaps between genres. At first, their music hovered around thrash and crossover during the 1980s, but as time progressed, the group allowed their sound to evolve into areas of groove metal and industrial, but staying close to those hardcore and crossover roots. The next important crossover band would arise in 1987, and they became known as Biohazard. Hailing from Brooklyn, the group's first few demos contained some shock value songs, in the vein of Carnivore and SOD, to get the attention of listeners. And if they pissed anyone off along the way, then all the better. But as Biohazard's fan following flourished, they also began changing. While based in crossover thrash, they began integrating an element that, at the time, it seemed only the Beastie Boys and Anthrax were willing to experiment with. As the decade turned into the 1990s, Biohazard had sturdily integrated rap and hip hop into their vocal style while retaining their crossover thrash sound. It would be the linchpin of their musical identity and strengthen their success into the decade and beyond. we Although Biohazard developed a crossover following during the 90s, for the most part, the scene was a little quieter in this decade than it had been during the 1980s. However, there was one band that popped up and gave hardcore, metal and crossover a solid kick in the ass. Body Count, created by Ice-T in 1990, was the rapper's hardcore project. The resulting self-titled debut album was a breath of fresh air to the scene, causing massive controversy with the tune Cop Killer in 1991. The band reformed every few years to release new content, including with their latest album from 2014, Manslaughter. Ice-T and Buddy Count have come full circle to their crossover roots on this new album by covering the Suicidal Tendencies classic, Institutionalized.
5: Yo, I came home from work the other day. I was tired. I just wanted to sit back in my big chair and play a little Xbox. You know, relax a little. Then my wife comes in, she starts telling me, I play too much Xbox. I said, what the fuck do you mean? This is just how I relax. Can I just play a little Xbox? Then she says, I saw an Oprah today that guys that play video games don't love their wives. I'm like, motherfucking bitch, fuck Oprah. I don't give a fuck, I want to play my video game. I don't give a fuck about Oprah, Oprah so, I just wanna kill some motherfuckers on x Xbox She said, you seem like you have an anger problem Maybe you need some help I'm like, bitch, call the police now it's Gonna be institutionalized You come out, bring my clutch out of eye You won't have anything to say, they'll bring my shoes, you see they way I'm not crazy, institution You're the one that's crazy, institution You drive me crazy, institution You put me in an institution, said it was your own solution To give me the professional help to save me from the enemy myself The other day I go on the internet, I'm just trying to check my email. So I put in my password, it says I have an invalid password. I know my fucking password, so then it says go to customer service. So I get on customer service, I start talking to this dude. This motherfucker sound like he from India or some shit. He says to me...
0: Hatebreed were another band that would surface in the 1990s, lending strength to the crossover scene, but for them, the major stretch of success wouldn't arrive until the 2000s. Despite this, the band persevered and fronted by vocalist Jamie Jasta, Hatebreed gathered a strong reputation among fans. In the first decade of the 21st century, Hatebreed had amalgamated elements of groove metal into their brand of crossover and, like their musical ancestors, were received and appreciated by metal and hardcore fans alike. Adopting a determined quality to their lyrical approach, highly inspired by Pantera, Hatebreed released a series of albums during the 2000s to enormous fan and critical acclaim and continued to release solid, no bullshit hardcore metal. The 1990s closed out with a sign of things to come. 1997 saw Sworn Enemy crop up, while two years later, the band's ANS and blunt force trauma would also contribute to the crossover scene. But in 1999, it would be the founding of Toxic Holocaust that would cause to be the preview of what would follow in the 2000s. On the edge of a neo-Thrash revival, the band came out of Oregon and integrated rudiments of black metal into their crossover approach to Thrash. The group helped usher in a new age of thrash metal while their album covers helped pioneer a new reawakening of album artwork. They were full of color and reminiscent of the crossover bands and thrash acts of the 80s. It was the beginning of the thrash revival. Like the emergence of Body Count at the beginning of the 1990s, the emergence of Toxic Holocaust at the beginning of the 2000s was the exact kick in the ass that hardcore thrash and crossover needed, and musicians paid attention. A year later, in 2001, a band showed up in Richmond, Virginia, by the name of Municipal Waste. Rooting themselves in the legacy of crossover and thrash, citing bands like Suicidal Tendencies and Anthrax as influences, Municipal Waste also took a leaf out of the Billy Milano book, Have Fun With It and Inject Humor into the Music, And if you piss people off along the way, all the better. Like many of the bands in the neo-thrash renaissance, Municipal waste zoned in on horror subjects and stayed close to their crossover thrash roots.
4: But then committed the effect Took too much to drink To be fully honest There's not much to recollect When taking on my last This it's just not making sense A person that's fake, can make that much vomit And barf it all over them I observe better I mention that our friends are pretty pissed They stated that I made a mess of over their progress I'm really not sure who I should believe
0: Also hooked on the horror themes, Send More Paramedics were formed in Leeds in the UK in 2001, bringing the crossover rich to the other side of the pond. They nicknamed their style as Zombiecore, a fusion of 1980s thrash with modern hardcore. Back in the United States, a Long Island group rose out of the hardcore scene of New York, garnering a reputation for concerts with huge stamina and extensive touring. This Is Hell released their first album Sundowning in 2006 But by 2008, their follow-up misfortunes underscored a strong crossover element. The band have since added a melodic death metal facet to their sonic assault and are also considered to be part of the melodic hardcore scene.
4: We'll you here Sometimes we'll let this of your blood Cause our heroes are trying to destroy Man, man, man Down here we're losing a fast Forget it Don't believe, I you but the end, Don't believe a word of death Don't believe a you hear These things have been wrong the sun But in the end they're the colorful lies Don't believe a word of I Don't believe a you hear The poetry of a stone-hearted city Let all the demons that my life Man, man, man down and we're losing a fear
0: And more bands continued to come out during the 2000s. SSS, or otherwise known as Short Sharp Shock, appeared in 2005. Coming from Liverpool in the United Kingdom, SSS regard themselves first and foremost as crossover and are well regarded among fans of hardcore and metal. In Washington State in 2006, Black Breath began, mainly focusing on retaining followings in clubs in the underground. The band boasts a strong 90s-era metal sound, though were firmly entrenched in the underground hardcore movement of the 2000s. The band have since incorporated elements of death metal and cross punk into their repertoire, helping to consolidate modern crossover into progressing into the future. And what about that future then? Who are the crossover bands of tomorrow, and where can we find them? While not as plentiful as, say, Progressive or Thrash, there are newer bands coming out into the crossover scene. A at Encyclopedia Metellum results in around 20 crossover bands that have formed since 2013. This shows that the style still has a following in the metal community, though its numbers are smaller than it has been in the past. The Bath Salt Zombies, who have been featured on Heavy Metal Historian before, continue developing their crossover approach, having made over 10 releases since 2014. Finn Bulgaria comedically look at controversial social issues in their home country and abroad. Texas crossover band Snakeway have released a few EPs that are keeping the scene alive, while Total Badass from California jokingly refer to themselves as having been hijacked in time from the year 2086 and being dumped in the year 2015.
2: To a boy,
4: I'm looking out to see, to see if there's a kid out there that's reaching out for me.
0: Encyclopedia metallon would seem to indicate a crossover decline, it turns out that it's actually Bandcamp.com that is harbouring some quality crossover artists. Most of them are getting a huge following from hardcore fans, with a lot of support from non-profit DIY hardcore record labels as well. Stockholm's negative self channeled the early vibe, sound and psycho attitude of the suicidal tendencies with their music, while Crux bring the gore to their crossover style. And Harsh Reality, a band from the UK, Integrate some stoner doom elements into their work. Dallas Metal Outfit Power Trip are a solid act, firmly entrenched into crossover, as World Weary truly bring the best of hardcore out in their crossover sound. But coming out of Russia, one crossover band brings a unique cultural flavor to the subgenre Siberian Meat Grinder. <laughs>
4: This ain't the fact That all the Pharisees Stalked the death God, so he can't redeem God ain't the core I need a pill
0: And now it's time for a prehistoric mosh. Before the rise of crossover thrash, there was a huge divide between metal and punk. The rivalry between the punks of 77 and the musicians of the new wave of British heavy metal was legendary. Despite this, however, there were two bands that fans of both punk and metal embraced as a part of their respective styles. There was something about them that seemed to transcend categorization and and were highly respected by both crowds. The first of these bands was Motorhead, an outfit that rose to success during the mainstream smash of punk and also during the new wave of British heavy metal. The other band were originators from the New York punk scene, the Ramones. In 1991, Lemmy wrote a tribute to the Ramones in a tune called R-A-M-O-N-E-S on their 1916 album. Joey Ramone commented on the song, stating that it was the ultimate honor like John Lennon writing a song for you. During their final show at the Palace in August 1996, the Ramones played the Motorhead Pen song with Lemmy joining them on stage to share some of the vocals. Joined together were the very first bands that crossed over metal and punk. Let's take a listen.
4: Tell me it's been your way, oh This I don't I'm a M-O-A-D-E-S I'm a radius. Come on! Back on the day, Good buddy, bow, the rock Good to you your soul. On the me, way way end, so no.
0: Now, let's have a look at this week in metal news. <music> Brett Morgan, the director of Montage of Heck, the Kurt Cobain documentary, has revealed that the film soundtrack will include an unreleased 12-minute song written and performed by Cobain. It is unknown at this point whether the song was intended for Nirvana or another project he was involved in, but fans have speculated it may be part of an acoustic demo for a solo project he had been working on before his death. Montage of Heck will be broadcast on HBO on May 4. Metallica are almost ready to go into pre-production for their next album. Drummer Lars Ulrich revealed in an interview with Rolling Stone that the band has nearly 20 new songs they've been working on while on the road. It is believed that the 10th album by Metallica may be released in 2016. The recent death penalty scandal in Indonesia, in which Australian drug smugglers are facing execution, has turned into a heavy metal story. Black Sabbath founder and guitarist Tony Iommi has reached out to Indonesian president Joko Widodo, who is also a metal fan, to stop the executions. Iomi wrote an open letter to President Widodo stating please allow them to serve out life sentences where they contribute to the well-being of Indonesia and make good for their error on their previous ways. I do hope you will consider this personal appeal. Barney Greenway of napalm death also wrote an open letter asking for clemency to be granted. The two prisoners Myron Sukumayran and Andrew Chan were convicted for drug trafficking during the Bali Nine affair. Both are still waiting execution, which is expected to be carried out in March or April, unless Joko Widodo grants them clemency. Motorhead are back in the studio with producer Cameron Webb and working on their next album, due out in late 2015. The band's 22nd album will also mark the 40th anniversary of the band, the release of which is just one of the many celebrations planned for the year. And Motorhead's buddies Girls School are also in the studio, putting on the final touches on their upcoming album called Guilty As Sin. The release is produced by Chris Santacrides and is expected to be released during the summer of 2015. Sepultura are also celebrating an anniversary this year, their 30th, and to mark the event, the band will be releasing a new song to pay tribute to their fans. No further details about this song are available currently, but it's believed to be titled Under My Skin, The band is asking for fans to send in photos of their Sepultura tattoos to be a part of this release. Michael Monroe, formerly of Hanoi Rocks, is back in the studio and working on a new solo album with a release scheduled for the fall of 2015. The news comes as Monroe announced his renewal of his contract with Universal Music and the album is being produced by Chips Kisby. Hell Yeah! will release its new single Hush on March 13 as a part of No More Week. The song's lyrics, written by vocalist Chad Gray, discuss his personal experience growing up in a home with domestic violence and aim to shed light on a hidden subject while letting other survivors know that they are not alone. Death Metal Band Six Feet Under will be releasing their new album Crypt of the Devil on May 5. The album continues the ongoing concept story Chris Barnes has been writing for many of the Six Feet Under albums of tales told through the eyes of a serial killer. A track listing has been released and a preview of the song, Open Coffin Orgy, is available for streaming over at YouTube. And finally, making the viral video rounds this week was an unusual metal cover of a song from Greece by a cover band. Tragedy, the all-metal tribute to the Bee Gees, released a video of their cover of You're the One That I Want from the 1978 musical called Greece. As of March 9, the video has exceeded 200,000 views and is growing. The video is as hysterical as it is silly, but it's worth a glance. And that's it for this week's news. Links for the headlines can be found in our show notes for this episode over at heavymetal666.com. Don't forget, if you come across any awesome metal news, please share it with us over at reddit.com slash r slash metal news. On the next Heavy Metal Historian, from the DIY approach of early punk, to the self-managed method of hardcore, to the rise of thrash metal, we dig a little deeper into the most important part of these scenes, the fans. Avoiding what was popular in the charts, the followers of metal and hardcore scrambled to the underground to find music that was far more relevant for their tastes. And without radio to promote the music they enjoyed, the fans developed an underground network of tape trading. It was a method of sharing music and connecting with fans around the world, we look into the metal fans that connected with each other to share music in what's become known as the internet before the internet. Subscribe to Heavy Metal Historian at iTunes or Stitcher and follow us on Facebook or at metal Podcast 666 on Twitter. Send us a message, MetalPodcast666 at gmail.com if there's a topic you'd like Heavy Metal Historian to examine or report on or if you have questions you would like to have answered. You can also hear me with Aaron Chavara on the Blendover Show bringing you the news that the news isn't covering over at BlendOver.com. We will catch you on the next Heavy Metal Historian, Hails and Horns, and until next time, one of the groups we featured on the show a few episodes ago reached out to us recently. In a tweet from the Bath Salt Zombies, they said, We were surprised when we heard your podcast and over-partied when we listened. Our shit is free, so go download it. We're forever grateful. Being of the crossover vein, we're going to close out with the Bath Salt Zombies for this episode. From their most recent album entitled Suburban Mobocracy, here's the song High as a Kite, as our closing headbanger.